This episode is sponsored by The Mighty. The Mighty is a safe, supportive digital community for people facing health challenges and the people who care for them. With over 3 million registered users and 90 million monthly views and shares of stories and videos, The Mighty has a deep reach of been there too stories, irrespective of where you may be on your health journey. Communities on The Mighty talk each day about more than 6,000 topics, from health conditions to weekly challenges. Celebrate wins, ask for help, or be the support someone needs to get through the day. Visit www.themighty.com. On this episode, we have David Fox. David is a serial entrepreneur with successful exits and now spends his time as an angel investor running an investment syndicate on AngelList. Based on his personal health experience coupled with those of loved ones, he targets startups in the wellness arena. He was an early investor in the meditation app Calm. David, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show. Pleasure. Um, we've gotten to know each other a little bit in the last several weeks, and uh, I really enjoyed getting to know you. And um, I feel like um, your entrepreneurial endeavors and uh, prowess kind of um, began in your early days in Australia. So I'd love for you to share about that, uh, where you grew up, uh, some of your experiences there, and particularly, I'd love to hear about the, the family store that started, I think you were about 10 or so. Uh, yeah, it was uh, 1970, and my dad had been working for uh, many years for his brother. Uh, his brother sold the business to someone. My dad didn't get on with the new owners, and uh, he stormed out and <laughs> decided to start his own little business. And they got a a, uh, a back street, a little laneway uh, store. They paid $32 a week in rent <laughs> for this. And they started a, a, a retail business selling backpacking gear, uh, camping equipment. And uh, yeah, my mum my was a very happy stay-at-home mum, uh, but she wanted to help my dad and uh, they started this uh, this business together and uh, yeah they thought it'd be a nice little lifestyle business and uh, I was uh, I, I finished I was finishing up year 10 of school uh, 1970 end of 1975 and the um, opportunity was to go and help them build this business and uh, I, I took that opportunity I left school uh, not particularly unusual in Australia at that time uh, probably about two thirds of folks in uh, year 10 left. Uh, and uh, many went off to a trade school. Mm -hmm. uh, but I went off into the retail, family retail business and quickly grew it. Uh, nice. we, uh, we expanded to a larger, uh, larger location and uh, I worked with them for eight years. That That's business. fantastic. Wow, great. And prior to that, I seem to recall something about um, uh, vegetables, oh. organic farm that uh, well, yeah. dirty with, shall we say. Well, it was funny when they started that little retail business uh, in this little back lane, uh, just down the road was a, a little gardening store. And I got uh, there, I was 10, 11 years old, I guess. And I was, uh, I got friendly with the, um, the lady who ran this little little garden store and I got this sort of interest in plants and so I took some home and started growing them and we were fortunate uh, where I grew up in Sydney uh, we backed onto a reserve and I took some of that reserve land and I started a little garden plot that grew and grew and uh, I was growing so much stuff it was much more than we would eat ourselves and so I, I thought well, I'm going to sell this to the neighbors so off I went and uh, door to door uh, hawking um, corn and potatoes and 
cabbages and whatever else we, we could grow out there. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, that was where my entrepreneurialism started. Uh, it was uh, just you know, hands in the soil growing and, uh, and, and selling to neighbors. That's great. Um, you were also an avid surfer and skateboarder. Oh yeah, uh, that was really what I wanted to do. It was funny, I go, when I went into the family business, it gave me an opportunity to get off to the beach in the morning. And uh, yeah, surfing was definitely a big thing for me. And you know, we were actually out in the suburbs, so we weren't right uh, where you would expect to be a surfer at the time. Uh, uh, skateboarding was still a, very much a nascent uh, uh thing and uh perhaps even more nascent um, certainly amongst kids was uh, photography and, and i got myself a, a waterproof camera nice. uh, a nikon made a camera called the nikonos uh that uh, you could take out into the surf so i started photographing people out in the surf and i got a, a canon canon 1014 uh super 8 camera and started making movies uh, so, so one of the threads in my life is is um, sort of taking uh, taking an interest and turning that interest into uh, a business. That's the best way. Commercialization of a hobby is, um, you know, the Financial Times actually had an article about this that said the most successful entrepreneurs are those um, who commercialize a hobby or have something to prove, like they've been slighted mm -hmm. in some way. Um, so Michael Bloomberg is the famous example there. He was at Solomon Brothers as a partner and got sidelined, sent to the back office. So he left and then built this enormous media empire where his net worth was uh, 100 to 1,000 times the partners <laughs> that he had, had kicked him out. Um, but very much your, your, your example is uh, the former, where commercialization of a hobby, and, and uh, I love that. Um, the, being a photographer and director of, of these videos was was great. Um, did your passion for music also start at a young age? No, um, I played. I, I, my, uh, I got a guitar for my birthday once. I fiddled around with it a little bit. Um, later teens, I did get a little interest in piano and sort of tinkled a bit. And then uh, I got an interest in. Uh, uh, my dad was an avid classical music. Uh, uh, listener and I got an interest in uh, harpsichord of all things and uh, dived into that and uh, to the great surprise of my dad who would be the last thing I would be taking up was, would be a, uh, a Baroque uh, instrument but yeah I got interested in harpsichord and ultimately uh, maybe we'll talk about it later but I did start a uh, recording company with my uh, uh, my teacher uh, uh, was this Music Omnia? Music Omnia. Uh, we have 75 releases now, uh, mostly thanks to my uh, partner, founder in that, uh, Peter. But yeah, he was my harpsichord teacher. And uh, so, yeah, there you go again. I got interested in harpsichord, dived in. I thought, wouldn't it be incredible if we could record these? And we talked about it for years. And uh, when later I got lucky, uh, that was one of the things we did was uh, started recording. That's fantastic. Now, Peter is based in the Bay Area as well? No, uh, Peter's in uh, Boston. Okay. Uh, he right. moved, uh, so I first came to the US in 85, and so did he. Uh, funnily enough, uh, he went to Boston. Uh, I came just, just to visit at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I had five years working with him. So, uh, yeah. so music, uh, I did play a little bit of guitar as well. Uh, my, my, my music interests span uh, all kinds. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. Classic, classical to hard rock. Oh, that's great. The, that that breadth and that diversity is is really wonderful to hear about. Um, but before you left Australia, you uh, started a business after your family retail business of uh, I believe desktop uh, desktop publishing distribution. Yeah, um, yeah. For the family, again, this is one of these sort of funny uh, trails. Um, I uh, in trying to uh, expand the company uh, business, one of the things we did was. Um, designed a backpack. I work with some physiotherapists and designed a backpack for school kids. Uh, and uh, to market that backpack to schools, I needed to build a list of all of the schools and send them at the time was physical letters. This is uh, mid eighties. Uh, so uh, printing out letters and customizing those and sending them. And so I would need a computer system to do that. And I started looking around and I got fascinated with the Apple Macintosh. It had just launched in 84. It was a brand new platform. And I had been looking at other platforms, CPM based things, DOS based things. And they were all just like, oh my God, these things are, are uh, I just don't understand them. But a Mac came along and it was like, wow, this is incredible. Again, I met, met a fascinating guy who's an editor uh, of the Mac, brand new Mac World magazine in Australia. We became friends and uh, we started designing a bit of software called Market. Uh, to help people manage their uh, contacts and uh, and calendar and and uh, communications and uh, you know, turn that into a business. Yeah, it was just going to be software that I was going to use. But instead, I thought, well, we can make a business out of this. If I'm going to sell this software, I better learn about the software business. And uh, so I I started importing uh, software from the US and got uh, very lucky to acquire distribution for uh, Adobe in Australia. Uh, and many other companies that uh, we don't uh, aren't so well known. Uh, Aldus uh, and Adobe were, were two companies. With uh, Aldus had a product called PageMaker, Adobe yeah. had Illustrator and the typefaces. I remember struggling with Aldus PageMaker early on. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite an incredible program, and it enabled uh, folks to do their own. You know, at the time, if you wanted to publish uh, a book, publish a magazine or a newsletter. newsletter, you'd have to go to a design shop and they would do it. And, and uh, it was a very expensive time consuming process. And along came this uh, bit of software that enabled you to do it uh, on your own, uh, you know, on your own computer. Apple had a, a product called the laser writer, very high resolution printer. And uh, a whole category was born called desktop publishing. And so I, uh, you know, that was the, the category I went after with this software distribution business called InfoMagic. And uh, we became the leading distributors of those products in Australia. So I left the family business behind, uh, much to the sadness of uh, particularly my dad, who was uh, thinking he was going to be able to retire and have me take over the, <laughs> over the business. But off I went uh, out on my own. Nice. Okay. Um, tell us about uh, Knowledge Web and the genesis for that. Uh, so the, the software distribution business got to a point where I could see a future where, where, um, this is early nineties. I could see a future where software wouldn't, uh, would no longer be shipped around on, uh, you know, in boxes and if, for the young folk these days <laughs> who have everything downloading to their phone or the computer, there was a time when software came in a box and you would have a floppy disk and you would put it into a computer and load it up and, uh, but I could see there was a time when when we we're actually going to be able to get this software uh, electronically, and and so I, uh, there was a company in the UK. I was friends with the founder and uh, uh, called Instant Access, and uh, 
uh, acquired the, the rights to, to that company in Australia. Tried to raise money for it in Australia, couldn't. And um, uh, so the opportunity came up to uh, come to the US to help him uh, set up an office in the US and acquire products. And uh, so that got me over to the US. Actually ended up going to the UK to work in, with him. Uh, but came back to the US to start my own internet company. I, I saw um, the Mosaic browser, uh, the forerunner to Netscape Navigator and, and the browser and, and uh, you know, Google Chrome that most people use these days. Uh, but I saw that, uh, this is um, probably 93, uh, someone showed and, and uh, 93, 94, and someone said like, you know, this, this browser is incredible. There's 200,000 downloads of this. Uh, have happened, and that was just you know just unbelievable numbers of two hundred thousand people would be using this. Uh, you know, at the time there were a whole lot of other um, methods of getting online. Uh, there was CompuServe, uh, Delphi. Uh, there were dial-up uh, message board uh, products, the Well, uh, but they were all you know, hard to use. They were all their own islands. And along came this World Wide Web and this browser, the Mosaic browser, that uh, would enable anyone anywhere to, uh, to, to access information across the internet. And it was just, it was mind blowing, it was fantastic. So I thought, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. And, and so I started um, a original company uh, product that I launched was called Tech Calendar. And uh, it was a um, directory of uh, conferences and trade shows in the, in the tech world. Uh, had all sorts of visions for it, of being able to broadcast conferences through this internet, you know, way early, impossible to do, but, uh, but all sorts of ideas about being able to book, uh, you know, uh, pay, for, pay for conferences, um, having all the conference information online. You know, used to go to a conference and, and actually you still do it. Some of them you you're able to take home a CD uh, with all of the audio recordings. There were cassettes back then <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, uh, from, the, from the conferences. And I thought, well, that, that we can make available through the internet. So I just sort of, you know, sort of saw this incredible opportunity. But alongside that, uh, my wife at the time, I uh, had an interest actually in astrology and uh, I got, got her uh, the astrology.net domain and uh, she started working on this little website on the site and uh, darned if it didn't take off. <laughs> this, uh, this, I, I had sort of had this big vision for... Went to the stars uh, as it were. Yes, it, well, the stars aligned as they said in one of the articles. Uh, uh, I, you know, I had this vision for making... Uh, software available, I had this software background, I had this vision for making software available through the internet, what we now know as, as SaaS, the software as a service. And uh, I thought, well, gosh, we could take her astrology software that we used and make that available. Uh, and we did that. So in six weeks, we built an MVP, wow. uh, minimum viable product. And uh, some, so someone could actually, through the internet, uh, fill in a form, Okay, this sounds so simple today, but at the time it was really amazing stuff to be able to fill a form in with their information. We pushed that into the software, brought back a report, pushed that back out to the user, formatted it in an HTML, uh, took that credit card through the process. And so February 96, we started uh, selling mm. uh, these, uh, these digital reports. And uh, you know, I had visions for doing a whole lot of other categories I really wanted to get into, like legal, doing... Uh, wills and trademarks and uh, it's just sort of all, all sorts of areas of uh, what were termed uh, expert systems at right. the time right. uh, 
that were folk, you know, expensive systems that only experts got to use. And I thought, well, you know, I'd love to make these available to anyone uh, to use at a much lower cost. And anyway, so we had the prototype, we got it working and uh, uh, yeah, that business just took off. And so we raised a little bit of money for it and uh, ended up selling it in 99. And that's what sold to iVillage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was at a very interesting juncture. We had the opportunity to uh, raise a lot more money to follow my larger vision or raise a little bit of money just to push, push ahead this, you know, this one niche product, uh, which turned out to be a, a big product. Uh, and we took the, uh, we took the ladder. Uh, we, uh, my, uh, my wife at the time and I still owned over 80% of the company. So I kind of did the math, you know, we either ha we had to get a heck of a lot larger. Uh, uh, if we took money in, we would dil have dilution and have been sharing it around more. So, so anyway, we took an early exit and uh, uh, a very fortunate one at the time. Yeah. Because of course, soon after you know, 90, we sold in 99, uh, we sold to a company just before they went public. Right. Uh, it was quite an incredible public offering. It was one of the, uh, it was the fourth largest first day pop uh, the stock was offered at $24. It shot up to $86 on the first trade. Wow. Uh, went up to 130 at one stage. Amazing. Uh, in the end, crashed down to 77 cents, I think, at its lowest. Uh, and um, so um, fortunately, uh, yeah, fortunately, we got to hedge stock and, and did ended up doing fairly well from it. But uh, it was a great lesson in, in, in uh, luck and timing and uh, uh, you know, how, many thing, how many things have to line up to actually have a good exit out of a company. Yeah, for sure. Um, I understand that your partner went through a medical issue at the time. And did that have an influence on the sale? No, fortunately, the, the, sale, uh, the sale of the company happened in uh, 99. We actually kept running the company till 2003. Uh, she was really enjoying it and uh, was either, yeah, it was top of the world. Uh, the dot-com crash came along, company retrenched. We had this, we were given this uh, sort of option uh, to have one of us leave or sack a half a dozen people. Uh, and um, we decided we'd both leave <laughs> and, and saved uh, a bunch of people their jobs. Um, uh, and uh, so we were living on top of the world. We went off to, uh, we bought a house in Australia. We were spending some time in the US. We'd had a child. Uh, so we were really on top of the world. and. We got back from one of our uh, extended trips to Australia and uh, uh, Kelly uh, contracted uh, uh, something called toxic epidermal necrolysis. Uh, it was an adverse reaction. We don't know exactly what the reaction was, but uh, she started losing her skin very quickly. Uh, I was actually offered a conference in Atlanta and I got this call from her, uh, you know, I'm feeling really sick. I think you'll have to come back. And the next day she said, look, yeah, you really got to come back. So I raced out, got on the plane, you know, got back. And uh, when I saw her, she was, uh, got, got back and was just like, wow. <laughs> so we're off to the hospital uh, and uh, they didn't even take paperwork from us. They just looked at her and said, you know, wow. in she goes. Uh, and uh, a couple of days later, they uh, took 70, she had 70 percent of her skin lost and uh, intubated. And oh my goodness. Uh, it was, uh, she was very close to, uh, to dying a couple of times, uh, she had to be revived in the, uh, she was at UCSF in the intensive care unit and uh, got her off to uh, a, the, the Burns unit at another hospital and where they were able to uh, treat her. And 
Um, she came up out, you know, she came out of it, but it was two weeks in, uh, she was intubated for two weeks. And uh, the, the recovery process was very long from it. Uh, uh, so one of, one of the things that happened out of that though, was that uh, I was sitting on my computer all day, sitting next to her, trying to find out you know, about this condition. You know, what does it mean? How's it work? And I was very lucky there was no Wi-Fi in hospitals at that time, but I had a cellular, little cellular connection. So I was actually able to be online, uh, much to the surprise of the surgeon and the other folks <laughs> there. But I was online, I was researching, and I found um, through a, a message board, a Yahoo message board, a, um, a treatment that... Uh, ended up saving her eyesight. Uh, it was an experimental treatment using amniotic membrane. They would uh, stitch it in under the eyelids, uh, pop it out of the eyelids because the eyelids would adhere to the corneas uh, in this condition. So someone's lying back, they're intubated and uh, they're not opening their eyes uh, and this uh, condition would get under their eyes and, and, uh, and many people cause blindness. So anyway, this, this uh, doctor had developed this and I found this through a Yahoo message board and uh, I did the process and, and um, the, uh, it uh, did save her eyesight. Uh, but a couple of years later, uh, uh, founders of a, of a company called Patients Like Me, uh, uh, I met up with and, and they were doing something to really formalize this process of bringing uh, uh, medical knowledge into one location. And, uh, instantly I, I kind of got what they were doing. I thought, gosh, if I could, if I could find such an important treatment through a, through a message board out on Yahoo, what could happen? You know, what could it be like if, if uh, we're able to structure, organize this information? And so that was one of my, uh, one of my early angel investments uh, last year, uh, two years ago being acquired by United Healthcare. Got you. And um, you have quite an extensive portfolio of angel investment companies. It seemed to number uh, close to 20. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've actually um, just crossed over 50 wow, uh, angel okay. investments I've done. I've done about, tw about 20 of them I call tr true angel investments where you know, I've made a direct investment in the company. Okay. Uh, uh, just on 30, I've made uh, through uh, syndicates uh, where I, I'm able to invest a small amount of money through uh, AngelList and some other uh, online platforms and right. uh, get access to some really interesting companies. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you were uh, one of the early investors in Calm. Yes, that came through one of those syndicates. Uh, it, uh, you, you never, you really have no idea which early stage company is going to ultimately be successful. So one of the lessons I've, I've learned is to uh, spread your bets around. Uh, the, the first angel investment I made was in 99. Uh, it was an angel group, uh, North Bay Angels, and uh, it was a company called Three Terra. Uh, we thought they were just gonna be incredible. And I, I popped down $75,000 on this first angel investment. And uh, it, it went to zero a year later. <laughs> uh, the next one I did is, still, is uh, fortunately still alive. It was an even bigger number. And uh, it, fortunately, it's still alive and uh, doing great work. Uh, but I, the, you know, the, the ability these days to make early stage investments through syndicates uh, is just fantastic. And Calm was one of those. I was able to invest a very small amount of money uh, uh, backing uh, an angel named uh, Jason Calacanis. It was actually his first syndicate and one of the early syndicates on AngelList. 
uh, put a tiny little bit in. I, you know, I thought it was a great idea, and, uh, and certainly you know, it, was an, it was an app idea that I'd had and, and wanted to do years before. So I you know, put a little bit behind and been incredibly successful. Uh, another one I did around the same time was Gimlet Media, which oh, sure. was acquired by uh, Spotify, Spotify yeah. $65 million. So again, two two that you never would have thought it would have been successful businesses I believed in and I wanted to see in the world. Uh, so I wanted to support, I, I certainly didn't want to support it at a $75,000 level or even a you know, typical angel investment is, is at least $25,000 is the typical amount that a minimum that a, a founder will take. Yeah. I'm on uh, Jason's list. So I see his opportunities, but I, I wish I had gotten in on, on, some of those earlier ones that uh, you were involved with, I didn't join until uh, more recently. And also the timing is really interesting. Uh, you can have uh, an investor that you know, really likes what you're doing, but they're in between funds uh, or they've just made a big investment or there's another one they're just about to make. So timing, uh, so many things have to line up. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, sometimes though, uh, when entrepreneurs are pitching you and you tell them that the timing just isn't ideal, they sometimes feel it's an excuse not to back them. <laughs> and it's, I'm really being genuine here. Uh, David, uh, your mom, I know she, she died of cancer. Uh, yeah. When was that? Uh, actually, just last year, just over a year ago. Okay. All right. uh, but, she, she was in, uh, in Sydney, although uh, went to Perth to stay with her brother. It was a, I had a very challenging couple of years. Uh, uh, and you, you sort of hear this, this, you know, people say this, your health is everything. And, and it really is you know, when uh, I, I'm just so fortunate to, to have been incredibly healthy myself, but uh, I had that experience with my uh, now, now ex-wife. Uh, my dad passed away in 2010 uh, very quickly. And my mum very, you know, not very slowly, but fairly slowly was a year and a half process. Yeah. And I, I know that you have a fondness um, for uh, health and wellness investments. And so I imagine some of these experiences are, uh, have much to do with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the experience with my, uh, with Kelly, my you know, ex-wife uh, was, was fundamental in you know, bringing me into the health tech uh, area. Uh, but also now my, my uh, new partner, the last seven years, as uh, uh, chief business officer with a, an, a, a conference organizer, Demi Colton, they organize uh, biotech, medtech, uh, digital health conferences, and one particularly large one that happens in the, uh, January. Year, oh, that, uh, with over 400 companies presenting. Is that uh, the JP Morgan Health Conference? Yeah, it's a, the, during the week of JP Morgan. Uh, uh, it's an event called the Biotech Showcase. Right. Uh, with, with three side events that she's uh, actually started. Uh, one of those is the digital medicine and med tech showcase. Uh, so she sees a lot of very interesting companies. So I get a little inside view mm, with nice. her with, with her help and, and also with her help with vetting companies. She has a uh, brings a science uh, background. Yeah. And much more skeptical than me. I'm I'm really drawn in by the by the passionate founder. And uh, Lila looks much more at the you know, will this thing actually <laughs> work? So we make a really good, uh, really good pair to it to uh, two sides of the pendulum swinging. Excellent. That's really good to hear, um, David. You said earlier about your interest in in plants and botanicals when you were in Australia, and I know that um, you have this project around biomimicry. 
Um, yeah, well, I would say it, it's it's an area I'm very interested in, and uh, biomimicry is um, the, the short statement about it is innovation inspired by nature. There was a, a book written by uh, a woman named Janine Benius in '97 uh, called Biomimicry. She was a natural sciences writer, and she had been noticing companies that were using that had adopted learnings from from nature like how does nature create a, a hard surface how does nature retard uh, guard against fire uh, how does nature efficiently move through water or through air and and she'd be noticing these and clipping these articles and put them all together uh, under this banner of biomimicry uh, so you know imitating nature uh, met her at a conference, an amazing conference that happens in, in the Bay Area every year called Bioneers. Uh, she was a keynote speaker, and uh, as I want to do when I get, you know, sort of hear someone talk, I'll just go up and talk to them. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was looking for, it was, it was uh, 2003, and I was kind of looking for the next thing to do and uh, got talking with her about it. And we stayed in touch over, over the course of a couple of years. And so she came to me with a, with a, a three-page plan uh, and I, uh, I backed her. I was the, the first person to back this institute. Uh, I joined the board and worked with her for six years. The one example that comes to my mind is Velcro. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Velcro happened, uh, I think it was uh, someone walking through the Alps and noticing these burrs sticking to his socks. And I think the greatest biomimic uh, we know of was uh, Da Vinci. Uh, right. If you think of, of the drawings and, and work that he would do, he would you know, look at how nature was, uh, you know, flight is one that comes to my mind. My, uh, my dad had this, man. Yeah, it was, it was great. My dad had these great big coffee table books on, um, on Da Vinci. And I remember just, just pouring over and reading it. It was a real inspiration. I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I have to say that uh, you sort of conduct your life in a very Da Vinci way. <laughs> you find an area of passion um, and you just pursue it with abandon <laughs> i do I, it's one of the um it's the it's it's the plus area of uh having uh attention deficit you know i'm a, I'm a fully diagnosed adhd uh person so it does go to show um that um uh, unlike my school teachers where every year i would get a report at school probably one of the reasons i left school it's, uh, it was, uh, David could, you know, every year the report was the same. David could do much better if he just applied himself, if he just concentrated, if he just focused, it'd be something of that. So we all, all every, you know, every year it was the same thing. And uh, uh, the, the funny thing is that uh, with ADHD, it's actually not a, a lack of attention. It can actually be, uh, uh, yeah, you can actually be hyper-focused. So when I get interested in something, I go deep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, did that also happen with exotic cars? Yeah, yeah, I got I got an interest in my teens in exotic cars and uh, in particular Lamborghinis. Joined the, the Lamborghini Register in Australia, joined the Lamborghini Club in America and the Ferrari Club and dived into it. That's fantastic. And do you still have uh, one? No. My daughter was five or six at the time and I was thinking, oh, this is just not a great role model to have one of these terrible polluting vehicles actually drive a, a, a Toyota Prius Prime these days. I've got, 
incredibly practical. Yes, completely different. <laughs> I was very moved by a share you did when we were on the PIM call, and you had talked about how you grappled with anxiety issues. I mean, here you are, you approach people at conferences who have just talked, and uh, you've had a very dynamic uh, life, and you've started all these different companies. So it feels like you've had strategies to overcome those, those issues. Yeah, uh, I, I learned to make the best of it. So, yeah, in my teens, actually, be in my preteens, I would just wake up with night terrors. Uh, and uh, various times I've gone through extended periods of panic attacks. Mm. Just really awful stuff and uh, really just did not understand what was going on. And uh, I actually started, uh, I learned about transcendental meditation. I uh, learned about relaxation therapy. I had some early devices in that area to train myself. So I, I, I you know, largely overcome uh, that a lot through breath work. Again, it's informed me and it's driven me in you know, some of the companies I've supported, like Calm. I'm actually starting one of those syndicates myself. The thing that lights me up the most is talking to founders of, uh, of companies you know, so I can be a full-time angel investor. Your expertise and your passion will certainly uh, be uh, excellent tools to, to bring to bear as you vet these companies. David, thank you so much for your time. It was great to uh, be here with you. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.